I'm reading from John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Amen. Thank you, Kay. Easter Sunday, right? What could I tell you that you don't already know? Sometimes, sometimes information is just to be reminded, right? I mean, every time we gather together as a church on Sunday mornings, don't you feel some kind of responsibility, not only to God, but one to another? I think that's what God placed the church for. God organize the church so that we'll be reminded over and over and over again about his graciousness, about our responsibility, not just toward God, but one to another, and also to those outside the church. So what could I say to you this morning? What could I tell you this Easter Sunday that you already haven't heard? I thought about that this year like I think about that pretty much every year. And I thought about it, I thought about it, and I prayed about it. If you follow the Facebook page that the church has, you'll be reminded of something that I posted a few weeks ago, inviting people to Easter Sunday. There are no bells and whistles. Easter can't be improved. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, how do you improve on something God has already done? You can't improve the gospel. There's going to be some things that I remind us of this morning. And I hope you'll allow your ears to not go to sleep, although you'll be tempted to perhaps allow them to go to sleep. My prayer is that you'll be seeing with eyes wide open. Spiritual eyes. My prayer is that you'll be hearing with ears wide open so that when you leave this place and you attend the family function or you go about your business this afternoon, tomorrow, whenever challenge happens, right? That next struggle is around the bend. That you'll be reminded that Jesus said, it is finished. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He's risen. He's risen. 
I want you to think with me this morning, if you will, to the last funeral you attended. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was somebody that you didn't know real well. But something inside you, something prompted you to go to a funeral. You walked into a church much like this, or maybe you went to a funeral home and you heard the music playing in the background. I think every funeral home has a certain cassette, right? And when I say cassette, that's what I mean. I'm not talking about new stuff. I'm talking about cassette, right? They all play the same things. Would you agree? All funeral homes smell the same way. Would you agree? Some good, not so good, right? Think, think about a time, though, that you showed up to a place like that or you showed up to a church and you saw people milling around and maybe you saw some awkward conversations. You saw people reminiscing over the loved one. Maybe you saw a large box in front of the church or the funeral home parlor. People were paying their respects. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're old enough to have experienced that, to have gone to a funeral home. And you sing a few songs. Somebody gets up and says what's called a eulogy, some good words about whoever it is that the shell is laying in the box. Maybe a prayer is given, and then everybody else is given an opportunity to pay their respects one last time. There's something there's something about a funeral that kind of puts the book into life, right? My dad passed away in 1999. I haven't seen my dad since 1999. There's a bookend to his life. Yet, because of Easter, because what Jesus did, I have hope. I have faith that that's not the end. That I will see my dad again. You guys know that, right? Isn't that what Easter is all about? I want you to think with me for just a few moments. Mary, Magdalene, who had a shady past, shall we say shady past, right? Jesus, by the way, has excised seven demons from her in the past. She has followed Jesus for some time. She's what we would call a, a full-fledged, right? She has got her rubber stamp. She is an apostle. She is a disciple. She is a follower of Jesus. She has gone with him to highways and byways. She's seen things that nobody else has seen. And this particular day, she's on the way to the tomb to pay her final respects. She's taking spices She's going to anoint the body. What that means is she's going to gently take care of the body and prepare it for further burial in a year's time. And she finds something that surprises her. 
the stone that is quite large, especially if you believe what the scholars believe, that the, the place that most people think that Jesus was buried, it has to be a six-by-six six stone weighing over 4,000 pounds. Mary couldn't move that stone, right? The women couldn't move that stone. They were, they were, they were women. It would take several, several men to move that stone. And yet Mary finds the stone is rolled away. She returns back to, now think about this for a second. Jesus has done amazing things for Mary. When they take his body down from the cross on Friday, I'm sure that Mary, along with the other disciples, would have remembered what Jesus and others had told them, other rabbis had taught them throughout their lives. You'll remember this text, right, from Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, God is speaking toward the enemy. God is speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You might bruise his head Friday. The Son of God may go to the cross and die for the people's sins. You may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Remember that? I wonder if the disciples remembered that. Probably not, because most of the time, right, we're focused on our stuff. We're focused on the funeral. We're focused on the bookend. We're focused on what we think of as being an end. And Sunday morning, Easter morning, Jesus says, this is simply the beginning. This is what the resurrection is all about. This is what Jesus came to do all along. Do you understand that? Yes, he went to the cross for your sins. Yes, something had to be done for your sins, for my sins, for the world's sins. Yes, that happened on Friday. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Mary's struggling, and she goes back, as Kay read for us, she goes back and she's wondering, and they've, they've, taken, they've taken his body away. What do we do? John, the one who records that text for us, and Peter, remember Peter? Peter is the one who is standing at the fire and says, I don't know the man. Aren't you one of them? I don't know what you're talking about. Three times, right? And just as Jesus has prophesied, just as Jesus told Peter exactly what would happen, the rooster crows, remember that? And Peter is distraught. Peter is going away thinking the bookend has happened. I have denied my Lord and Savior, Jesus, three times. What hope do I have? A bookend. And so as Mary tells Peter and John, something has happened. They run. If you don't know in the ancient Near East, running is not something men do. Men would be ashamed to run. But there's something about hope, right? There's something about maybe this is not the end. There's something about something greater than you and I could ever imagine. And so Peter and John run. 
the text tells us that Peter goes in first. John beats him to the tomb, but Peter goes in first. Do you know how anxious he must have been? Could it be that Jesus told us? He told us he would be crucified, but I also remember Jesus said this would not be a bookend. This would not be the end. You've experienced those times in your life where hope wells up in you, right? Where hope, despite challenges. Those of us at Hillcrest have been looking at the book of Jonah the last several weeks. Remember when Jonah finds himself in the belly of a fish and he prays to God and I think there must have been a time where hope as he prays to God, is welling up within Jonah. It's a story of grace, by the way. We all need that hope welling up within us. What is Easter all about, church, if it's not about hope? I want to turn your attention, if you will, just for the next few minutes to a text in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Keep those things in mind that we've just talked about. No, no bookends, right? God is not about bookends. You understand what I'm saying? God is not about bookends. God is not about funerals. You could say it this way. God is not about ends. God's in the business of creating. Right? And God's in the business of recreating. Right? Right? Okay, I, I want to make sure I'm not the only one here. God's in the business of creating and recreating. Write that down if you need to. God's in the business of creating and recreating. And I know in my life, and I would bet in your life, that it's not just creating one time or recreating one time. He creates and he recreates and he recreates and he recreates. You get the idea? God is outside of time and space. There are certain things that we're limited by in this flesh, one of those things being time. This shell is another one of those things, right? You think this is really me standing before you, but this is not really me. That's not really you when you look in the mirror, right? That's the shell. That's the flesh. That's what God has given you to walk around. What's really you is the soul that lives deep within you. Do you understand what I'm talking about? God's in the business of creating and recreating and recreating and recreating. I don't, I don't know about you, but every time I think about Easter, I think about this hope, this recreation. I want to turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, and just read a couple of verses to you that Paul reminds the church in Corinth, messed up, more focused on flesh in a lot of ways than what they should have been. A messed up group of believers who needs a little bit of hope, who needs a little bit of recreation, who needs a little bit of Jesus, needs a little bit of the Holy Spirit to come in and shake things up and do something with, forget the bookends. There's a text that you're all familiar with that talks about when there's a paraphrase, when God is on your side, what changes? 
the whole game changes, right? It can be you against the world, but when God's on your side, what changes? Everything changes, right? Tanya, you know what I'm talking about. See so you shaking your head. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. My prayer is you've experienced that as well. God's in the business of recreation. So listen to what it says. Because of Easter, because of what Jesus has done for us, church, the love of Christ controls us, or maybe your translation says compels us, urges us, causes us to move forward. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Do you know the Romans 5 text? If you don't know the Romans 5 text, let me ask you to make a note of it. Either write it down or make a mental note. Romans 5, Paul talks about we all sinned in Adam. We all died in Adam. We were all raised in Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5. That's a synopsis of Romans chapter 5. It's, it's a great opportunity for you sometime this Easter afternoon to go back and read through Romans chapter 5. That's the gospel message. Paul says it here to the Corinthian church. We've concluded this, that one has died. Jesus Christ has died for all. What does all mean in the Greek? We've talked about this before. What does all mean? It means all. Not just a select group of individuals, not just people that go to church on Easter, not just people that go to church on Christmas. Christ has died for all. Does that mean that everyone will receive Christ? Of course not. But the gospel message, whether you receive it or not, is still the gospel message. Yes? Yes. This is good news, church. Friday is good news. Friday, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God incarnate, the word says he became sin for us. He just didn't take my sin upon him. He didn't take your sin upon him. He became sin for us. And they did everything that you've heard before that they've done. They whipped him 39 times. They spit at him. Creation doing what they did to creator. Get your mind around that. And he says things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Satan would put a bookend when Jesus says, it is finished. Friday's just the beginning. He just didn't die for us. Something else happened. Sunday was coming. Yeah. We've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we've all died. Now, he's going to explain what he means by that. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. We live in a very consumeristic world, as we've talked about here in the last several months. We live in a me society, very narcissistic, very selfish. We're driven by what makes me happy, what makes me comfortable. Well, that's not the gospel. We don't just receive to receive. We just don't receive. We don't get to get. Paul's going to talk about this to the Corinthian church. The reason you're having problems in your church, the reason that you're having problems in your life is because you're very selfish. You're very inward focused. And Paul says, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. What does that mean? That means the resurrection changes everything. Everything. From now on, church, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. What's he talking about? I see, I see your flesh, you see my flesh, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, we even saw Jesus for a, per, a certain amount of time, right? He walked with us for 33 years. We saw him in the flesh. But what Paul is saying is the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, is much more than something that happens in the flesh. The writer of Hebrews would tell us, in the flesh, it is appointed that all men die, right? That's the flesh. We all die. You've experienced that. You've, you've seen that bookend at a funeral. We've all experienced death. Or we will all experience death if Jesus Christ doesn't come back before we, before we die. But that's not, the, that's not what Paul's talking about. We're not talking about a pulse in our neck. We're not talking about a heartbeat. We're not talking about those things. Paul's talking about something that Jesus Christ showed, up, showed for us that's more than a physical thing. It's so spiritual, right? This is what it means to have abundant life. Those of you who know John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you may have life to the full, right? That's what it says. And so Paul says, even though we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is, and here's the key phrase, church. Whether you've gone to church all your life, whether Easter is about something special for you because tradition makes it special for you, if you consider yourself, you know, it's pretty vogue now to say, well, I'm not really a religious person, but I'm kind of spiritual. Have you heard that before? That's kind of the way the things are going now. Maybe you consider yourself a spiritual person, but Paul is saying, here's the key, church. Here's the key. Not that you've been down the aisle, not that you've got in the baptistry, not that you do the, those are great things to do. You should do those things. But for those in Christ, for those in Christ, for those in Christ, for those who've received what Jesus Christ did for us on Friday, we are now new creation. Now let that sink in for just a second. He says in another place, the old has gone. The new has come. Or he says in Galatians chapter 2, I must crucify myself daily. He's not talking about fleshly things. He's talking about spiritual things, church. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, right? There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do. This is all from God who through Christ, circle the word reconciliation, circle the word or highlight the word, underline it if you write in your Bible, Make a note of it. God reconciling himself to mankind, isn't that what Easter is all about? If you're a sinner, and you are, and you need a Savior, and you do, and Jesus Christ is the Savior, that's what the Holy Scriptures teach us, God loves you 
no matter what you think of yourself. No matter what your peers, your family members, your co-workers, no matter what anybody else says, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. How do I know that? I know that because God's plan all along was to reconcile Himself to mankind. How so? Through Jesus Christ. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not a plan B, it's not a plan C. It was God's intent all along. Do you understand that? Why? Because He loves you so much. Because He loves you so... He reconciled us to Christ, or through Christ, to Himself, and He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not a selfish thing. It's not something we just do on Easter or Christmas or when we feel really spiritual. It changes everything, the way we live, our priorities, the way we treat one another, how we're passionate about a relationship with God because He's a passionate God wanting a relationship with us. I want you to know, church, this is not something new, right? This is not something you haven't heard before. Yet sometimes we need to be reminded of of how much God loves us. The world would put bookends here, right? Satan would try to convince us there's a bookend here, and God says, no. When he says, it is finished from the cross, that's, that's the sin. That's, the, that's becoming sin for you. It is, it is finished to tell us die. They, they put the spear in his side, and blood and water, it says, gushed from his side. They, they placed him in the tomb, and even the disciples, even John and Peter and Mary, they all thought it was, quote-unquote, over. It was, it was a bookend. Nobody can overcome death. As Marianne read for us earlier, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? You may think death is the end. For believers, death is a transition. Death is moving from death into life. You can read about that in Romans chapter 6 as well. Verse 20 says this. I think. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. I should go and tell the world, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and sing. Therefore, go and declare. Therefore, whether it's an Easter or not, when somebody says he is risen, you should respond with praise God, hallelujah, he is risen indeed. Right? Not just with your mouth, but with your life. It changes everything. Some of you are struggling with something right now that seems... burdensome, overbearing. And perhaps you've prayed about it for quite some time. Some of us have prayed about it for quite some time. Don't let Satan put a book in. Don't think that something in this world is greater than the resurrection. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't let Satan steal your joy. The resurrection changes everything. 
And you need to tell people about that, not just experience it, but tell people about that. We were talking about those God-appointed times, right? Last week in Denny's. The Goolsbys had a God-appointed time where they got to minister. Brandon and I have had opportunities in a place called the Huddle House where we got to pray for a, a waitress. God allows us those God-appointed times so that we don't, don't receive, we also give. We share what God has done for us. Well, I could never do that. Yes, you can. I need that ringtone. Yes, you can do that. If you have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit living within you that raised Jesus from the dead. You know there's only one Holy Spirit, right? The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're a believer, lives in you. Does that not change everything? Yeah. God is making his appeal through us. That's our responsibility. We implore you. I'm begging you. Remember, he says at the first part of the text, his love compels us. His love controls us. I'm begging you, church. I'm begging you. I'm begging. I'm pleading with you. The greatest way I know how. Don't just think that Jesus is a good rabbi. Don't just think that Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is what allows us to be reconciled to God. And because Jesus died on the cross, because he willingly came, he gave up equality with God. He came and died on a cross, and three days later he rose from the dead. He offers us the same, the same thing. I wonder if you've experienced that. I, I'm not talking about how often you attend church. I believe if, if you've experienced that and you fall in love with Jesus, that'll take care of itself. I wonder if more than just being a good person, you know those people that you say, well, they're good people. They'll, they'll give you the shirt off there. But we're not talking about good people. If anything, we're talking about people that are less than good. Amen? And yet God loves me anyway. God loves you anyway. I can't improve on the gospel. I can't tell you something you don't already know. I can't improve on the gospel. I can't improve on the gospel. The gospel is self-sufficient. The reason it's good news is because I'm not involved. And the reason that the gospel is good news is that you're not involved. We must rely on what God does, right? And here's the gospel. You're a sinner. You need a savior. So you need to confess. You need to repent. You need to receive Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Would you please, would you please, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, 
I'm asking you as genuinely as I know how to be reconciled to God. I know as long as I have control, it never works out. And I, I know as long as you maintain control, it will never, ever work out. I'm pretty stubborn. I'm really stubborn. But I'm smart enough to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. That's my prayer for you this Easter.